Uh, thank you for a chance to be here, to uh, be a part of this thing, and uh, for the conversations I've been able to have with you. I've appreciated those uh, things, the questions you've asked, the uh, uh, comments you've made. Uh, I appreciate that. Sometimes as parents and as families, um, we, we, in the midst of untrained, tired, and scared, um, we think people's response might be to just say, maybe you just need more motivation. You just need to pump it up more, Get, leave here and just go for it, you know? And I, I think that's partly true, but, but motivational speeches can, can uh, well, they start to run into one another. Well, I'm gonna show this video just to, maybe this is what you need tonight to get you ready to, to go back home and be motivated to, uh, to be a parent, okay? Oh, you know what I did, excuse me? Is I took this out. So now we'll do it. We'll hook it up this way, and and then we'll get it started. Here we go. A little dip for a little brain break. Here's our motivational start of the parenting. Will you fight? No. We will run, and we will live. Shame on you. This could be the greatest night of our lives, but you're gonna let it be the worst. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life you won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. Well, I'm not going home. We've got too far! And I'm gonna stay right here and fight for this lost cause. A day may come when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. You're gonna work harder than you ever worked before. But that's fine, we'll just get tougher with it. A person grits his teeth and shows real determination. Failure is not an option. That's how winning is done. Believe me when I say we can break this army here. And win just one for the Gipper. But I say to you, what every warrior has known since the beginning of time, you've got to get mad. I mean plumb mad dog mean. If you would be free men, you must fight to fulfill that promise. They just cut out their living guts one inch at a time. And they will know what we can do. Let no man forget how menacing we are. We are lions. You're like a big bear, man. This is your time. Seize the day. Never surrender. Victory or death. Punch. Push your back. Who's with me? Clap. Clap. Don't let him die. Clap. All right. Let's fly. And gentlemen in England, now a bed shall know my name is the Lord when I tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our Independence Day. There's a guy who uh, has got way too much time on his hands, but you know, let's just close in prayer and go home, right? That's all we need. A little motivation and we're ready to go, right? That's not the way it kind of works. In fact, uh, there's a whole other dimension to this that I'd like to talk about. I'm going to give you an image to get us started uh, that I've used with uh, teenagers, but you're real mature people, so we can do it with you. Uh, I need a volunteer who's willing to come up here. No, it's, it, you don't get to drink. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, and this is what I, your, your name is what? Brian. From where? 
Bloomington. Okay, Bloomington. Brian from Bloomington. Um, are you right-handed or left-handed? Left-handed. Okay, left-handed. Uh, hold that up so everybody can see it, and I want you to crush that can with one hand. Just you might macho. Ready? Go. Okay, give him a hand. That was very impressive. Okay, uh, that one. Crush it. No, just one hand. No, 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 no. Just don't get smart on me, Brian. Uh, just ready? Show him what he got. Ready? Go. I can't do it. And why can't you do it? It's full. Because it's full. Okay, give him a hand. That's great. Okay. <laughs> this is a really silly analogy that I think uh, will help. Um, Paul writes and says, I pray that you'd be filled with this knowledge of who God is. This, this be filled with it. Uh, come to understand how wide and deep and long and high is God's love. Why is that? Because if you're filled with it, it gives you a strength from within that the four Ps will never give you. People who live by the four Ps, uh, eventually when life hands them stuff, they look like this. There's, there's nothing from within. Um, they look, those two cans look the same at the beginning, but under pressure, one looks like this and one looks like this. Um, tonight, I would love to uh, continue to show you funny videos and uh, maybe, maybe make you laugh a little bit because I'm a recovering performer. Um, but I'd like to try something else, and that's called being honest. And that's this, that life hands us stuff, and you and I have to think about, do we want to end up looking like this? or looking like this. As parents, as people who are trying to live into some kind of hope, uh, Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Um, and so I wanna share with you a Bible verse that I don't particularly care for, which is what a speaker should never say. But uh, let me show it to you, read it, and I want you to guess as to why, I've had kids guess this, why do you think this is not my favorite Bible verse. Uh, here it is, uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, that, yeah, does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who builds their house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Any ideas on why that might not be my favorite Bible verse? It's in the Bible, it's in red letters, we're supposed to like it, because Jesus said it, but I don't like it. Why would that be? Anybody? Yeah, you have to practice, so yeah, you have to be the one that puts it into practice, and that's a challenge to me, because I'm inherently lazy and I don't want to put it into practice. That would be a reason why that verse would be not my favorite verse. That's not it, but that is a good reason why this is a challenging verse. The storms are going to come. The are going to come. It's cheater, Sunday school cheater. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Jesus uses the exact same phrase for both people, foolish and wise. He says the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. This exact same phrase. In other words, this is an, one that we forget, is that Jesus is not a protection of from the storms. He's a rock in the midst of the storm. And I would like it to read, and wouldn't you like it to read? If you really believed, you'd be protected from all the storms, and the stupid people would get the storms. And we could say, well, see, if you believed, you wouldn't have a storm. That's not what he said. What he said is, rains come, storms happen. And so the question becomes, how do you and I live through the storms? And uh, 
That's been an issue I've had to wrestle with. Um, you ask any person in tragedy, uh, and they'll talk about a sense of powerlessness. They'll talk about feeling not in control. Every funeral, they'll talk about this. Every ER visit, every diagnosis, they'll talk about it. I, I wasn't expecting it. it was out of, I, I can't control it. I can't change it. Um, I've been to way too many funerals uh, to, to not believe and see this in operation. Uh, it, it rattles our sense of we can control our life. It's an illusion that we control our life and, uh, or control our kids' lives. And uh, it sometimes um, comes up. And I want to tell you some parts about my story uh, to give you a frame of reference of how I've had to wrestle with this. Not because it's only the only thing, but it just is part of what I've been wrestling with. Um, uh, my journey, my, well, a couple parts of my journey. One, I, I told you, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I didn't vote for that. Uh, but that was what I got to experience as a child and a teenager. Um, and that was a storm that I had uh, to learn a lot about and figure out. But another kind of a storm came to me in um, my early 20s. I was that long-haired guy that, that I showed the picture of, and uh, he was doing youth ministry, working full-time, loving it, recently got married to Sue a couple of years, um, and uh, you know, you just feel invincible, you're serving God, and just a great deal. But all of a sudden, my cage got rattled uh, in the basement of my church uh, one evening. I had been feeling bad, I had been feeling, getting tired and stuff, and I thought I was getting old, you know, I needed to get in shape, you know, how dumb was I? But um, we were gonna gather that night, we had the drop-in center open, then we were gonna gather in the kitchen for dinner, and then we were gonna have a Bible study after that. And um, so I was running around with kids and I started to feel tired and weak and sweaty. And so I come in, bring them all to the kitchen, I gather them up. And I, by the way, you gotta know about me, I don't want anybody to worry about me. I don't want anybody, you know, get nervous or pay attention to me or worry, but don't worry about it, I'm fine. Uh, I grew up with alcoholic family, I'm always okay. So, get them together, didn't want anybody to worry about me, and I turned to Sue and I said, will you please pray for the meal, because we all gathered around the big counter in the kitchen, and, um, and I knew I, now I was getting really dizzy and clammy, and I thought, boy, I might pass out. And so I said, will you please pray? And so she prayed, and I thought I would, you know, if I passed out, I would lay on the counter and pass out and wake up by amen and be able to be okay, because I don't want anybody to worry about me. Well, I did pass out during prayer, but instead of laying on the counter, I am accident prone. So I stood up and apparently fell straight backwards. And I'm about six feet tall and the wall's about five feet behind me. And so I did a total flat head smash into the wall and I wake up on the floor facing the ceiling. Very weird feeling. And uh, you know, like she's done being done praying and my wife is really hospitable. So she starts serving all the kids food. They're like, I remember, Lee, do you need a chair? Like, or do you, need any, do you want any food? I'm like, well, they thought I was kidding. You know, like flopping around during prayer can be a nice practical joke. <laughs> it wasn't really my idea, but uh, I said, no, I, but could I have a chair? So I get, they give me a chair and I sit down and this commotion around me, if you know anything about concussions, you tend to fixate. And my fixation was I wanted to figure out what was going on so I could be okay. So after serving everybody at my life, I, she's the quickest, sharpest knife in the drawer. She came up and sat next to me and said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. But who are these kids? She's like, like this is your youth group. What? I said, well, what are they doing here? We're gonna have Bible, are you okay? 
I'm like, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Who are these kids? For the next 45 minutes, I was asking two questions to try to get control of my life. Who are these kids and what are they doing here? We are in the car, we've called a friend of ours, a doctor, driving to the ER and I'm asking, who are these kids? Shut up, there are no kids in the car. <laughs> but I was fixated. Ended up in the emergency room, ended up staying overnight and the next day, uh, tests after tests, uh, little X marks, cardiologists start to appear in my room. And I'm not uh, real smart, but I remember paying attention in biology. The uh, heart is a major organ and you only get one of them. Okay, so now I'm getting kind of nervous as an early 20-year-old kid. And uh, the doctor comes up to me and says, I'm sorry to tell you, you have an incurable heart disease. And I remember thinking, that just can't be right. I mean, seriously, that's got, you've got to have made a mistake here. And then they do what medical people do, and we in, in church do the same thing. We come up with this fancy language to sound really smart so that the patient has no idea what you've just said. They said, your, your heart disease is called idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis. And I'm thinking, whoa, that sounds kind of cool. Um, but it's this disease uh, that I begin to identify. It owns me. It shapes me. It scared me. I had to take medicine. They said, if you take this medicine four times a day, uh, you, sh you should be okay. Again, you should be okay. Big thing for me. So I began to take the medicine and for many years just would get tested. We prayed, we went to healing services. Every time I would go back to the doctor and they would continue to find the disease and it began to progress. And uh, I don't like being tested, but over the course of the time they would do different tests. One was a bilateral heart catheterization where they stick a catheter up in your vein or your artery into your heart to kind of check things out. Uh, that was not much fun for me. I don't like getting put on a gurney and feeling vulnerable. But after many years, I had to do that, and they found a problem. So they uh, took me out and brought me back in for an electrophysiological study, which is where they do the same thing, only this time they stimulate your heart to go into, into rhythms, arrhythmia. And, uh, oh, by the way, when you go in for the uh, bilateral heart catheterization, uh, you have to sign a little form. And that in the form, it, I read a little fine print, it said 2% uh, uh, of the people don't survive the procedure. Now, 2 out, of 100, two out of 100 doesn't sound like much, does it? I guarantee you, when you're putting your name at the bottom of that sheet, that's a big number. And by the way, uh, using the image that I said the first night, uh, when I signed that paper, I heard the whistle of a train bearing down on me. And it got really loud. And I was terrified. You know, folks, it's not that I'm afraid. It's just that I really like it here. <laughs> I love my kids, I wanted to see them grow up. Um, and uh, I just started, you know, I started to panic. I had to sign that. The electrophysiological study, back two or three weeks later, have to sign it again. 2% of the people apparently don't survive this episode. And I said, what are you gonna do? They said, you're gonna do all this stuff. And basically I said, so you're gonna, like, gonna give me a heart attack. He said, you were gonna, like, yeah, we wanna have you do that so we can see if we can uh, stop it in here, what medicines we need and stuff like that. Did you notice a key word in that sentence that the doctor said? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, well, stop, yeah, but if. There was the word if in there, if they can. I'm like, so this is a pass-fail test? Pretty much, it's a pass-fail test. Why, that's a stupid thing. Why would I sign up for that? But I did because they needed to find out what we were dealing with, and they did the test. I passed it, apparently. Um, 
And now they've called my disease hypertrophic cardio, restrictive hypocardiomyopathy. And uh, so they've been doing my electrophysiological study, my bilateral heart catheterization, um, and they're looking for uh, risk factors of tachycardia arrhythmia. And uh, in the fall, about 20 years ago now, um, I, for the first time, called them and said, you need to test me because something's wrong. And I don't like being poked, prodded, tested in any way, shape, or form. But I called and I went in and they did a bunch of series of tests and they sat me in a room and I waited and I waited and then two cardiologists walk in the room when they gang up on you, you know you're in trouble. And they said, uh, after all the tests, um, we uh, believe you're at a uh, higher risk for these tachycardia arrhythmias. And so, um, and then they moved from all this. And notice all these language, idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis, bilateral heart catheterization, electrophysiological study, tachycardia arrhythmias, hypocardiomyopathy. Um, we now believe you're a high risk candidate for sudden death syndrome. Hello? Could you not come up with a fancy title for that? Did you have to call it that? I mean, I don't care who you are, folks. The whistle of the train was really loud that day in that room because I was totally out of control. We believe you're a high-risk candidate for sudden death syndrome. And I said, what do you mean by that? Like, okay, sudden and death, it's fairly clear. <laughs> We're using English, not Yiddish here, sudden death. Uh, my one doctor is a research cardiologist who's researching the disease that I have, hypercardiomyopathy. And uh, he, yeah, I love him, but he has no bedside manner. And here's what he said. Well, Dennis, if you have the episode, you'll be dead before you hit the ground. And if I'm in line behind you, there's nothing I can do to save you. I don't know about you, but that was fairly attention getting. <laughs> I don't care if you're tired or didn't have your caffeine. You are awake right there. Because he basically said, this is a uh, one and done operation. And he said, he pulled out a little machine called an uh, implantable cardiac defibrillator. Um, back then, I was the, one of the first ones that got a, called a single lead implantable defibrillator. I, I usually have a little mock-up. I forgot to bring it. Uh, it's about the size of a deck of cards. They've gotten smaller now, and it sits right here inside under my skin. And then a wire goes from here up under my clavicle into my heart. And if I have this episode, this machine, hopefully, will read the episode, shock my heart back into a normal rhythm before I hit the ground. Isn't that comforting? Every day, um, I'm aware of the fact that I have no, I'm, I'm, this is not in my control. This is a gift. Today was a gift. And one of the ways I know that is not just because I know that's true. By the way, you all have sudden death syndrome too. I've just been told. We're all going to get there. But mine has been told. And I can put my hand right here as a reminder, I am not in control of this. Uh, often when people come to worship time, they raise their hand or whatever, if, that's, or if they're comfortable with that. Uh, when I'm really kind of in that place, I put my hand right here. Because this is just a physical reminder that I'm not in control. And by the way, folks, um, I, don't always, I don't like it. <laughs> Sometimes I get really frustrated with it. Um, because I, 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 don't, I, I would love to be able to tell you that I have a, a testimony of healing. I, I would really think that would be very cool, you know? To be able to say, oh, and by the way, I just went to the doctor and they said, it's gone. I'm, that would be awesome. But that's not what I got for you. I got, um, how do you find God in the midst of that? Uh, of disappointment with that, of wrestling with that. Um, a year and a half after it was put in, I, a machine is in me. I'm kind of settled into this rhythm. And they said, you know, if it has an episode, you'll probably know it. Uh, if it happens once, 
you know, bring, come in, we want to check it out. If it happens twice, uh, yeah, it's pretty serious. If it happens more than twice, call 911 because that's really bad. Um, so uh, one morning I'm doing my, getting ready for work and I'm shampooing my hair and all of a sudden the thing went off. And let me tell you, they did not tell you how dang much it hurt. It really went off. Um, oh, before I tell you that, I got to tell you, when I, when I had the, the thing put in, I have, I have sick friends. Uh, which I like. Um, so one friend of mine called, uh, I'm sitting at home, kind of, so I didn't go to work that day, and I'm by myself a couple days after the surgery, and I'm sitting home kind of thinking, you know, this, you know, I don't know what my future looks like, it's kind of depressing. My friend calls me up and goes, Tiger, um, how you doing? I said, fine. He goes, hey, um, it's kind of cold out, and my car wouldn't start this morning. Will you come over and jumpstart my car? <laughs> I'm like, Seriously? He goes, yeah, if it doesn't, we don't get good connection, we'll just put the jumper cables on your nipples. <laughs> I'm like, really? He goes, if that machine goes off, do like all the garage doors in the neighborhood go up and down? I go, how long have you been practicing these lines? He said, all morning. All morning for you. I, I, I need people like that. So anyway, I come back to the, uh, uh, it goes off, and I'm scared. I cut and call Sue, and she comes down, and what do we do? And I, well, they said, come in that day, so... Uh, uh, about an hour later, uh, it went off again. And now we're both getting scared. Um, and, and it kind of knocked me down the, on the floor. I'm in the kitchen. Uh, 15 minutes later, it went off a third time. And she's crying, calling 911. And five minutes later, it went off a fourth time. And I crawled to the couch, and we had a prayer time on the couch, folks. And it was not one of these churchy prayer times. Oh, heavenly creator, we thank thee for the blessings <laughs> of the, yeah, the one of those, that, and none of, that, none of that. We just hung on each other. And she prayed uh, just over and over, God save his heart, God get the ambulance here, God save his heart. Which I have to tell you guys is a very much more encouraging prayer than if she would have prayed, it's okay, Jesus, take him now. It's a, <laughs> we've had a good run, it's okay. It's a, <laughs> So I was way more encouraged by that. But, you know, we just, we just clung there. And I got wheeled off in a, in a gurney down to the hospital by myself in this room. Um, and it was a bit, I heard a whistle of a train. Uh, I find out later, by the way, I, was at, I sometimes forget to tell this. I find out later that I, in fact, had not had four sudden death episodes that morning. But, in fact, the insulation had cracked on the wire between the machine and my heart. I'm like, is that covered by warranty? Seriously. I mean, it, it was just cracked, so it was misreading everything. So it shocked me. And by the way, again, medical people don't call them shocks, they call them therapies. The machine will apply a, doesn't that sound like you'd pay for that? The machine will apply a therapy to correct the bad arrhythmias, okay? Doesn't that sound great? And then when it's one, one of those, I had four of those, they said, well, those are inappropriate therapies. <laughs> I said, yeah, they were really inappropriate. Don't do that ever again. And so I had to have surgery to have the wire replaced. And uh, one of my images I have of being put on that gurney, being wheeled out, was looking up and seeing Ryan at 11 years old, standing at the top of the stairs, watching his dad getting wheeled out in the ambulance. And I had this feeling of complete and utter powerlessness that there's nothing I can do about this. 
So I was not, in fact, having sudden death episodes. But, in fact, the, the, the guy gave me the wrong medicine on the way down that almost killed me. Uh, gave me nitroglycerin, apparently opens everything up, and my heart just flatlined in the hallway. Uh, but fortunately, I caught a, a nurse on the way, and now we're having a whole nother. In other words, this was really not a great morning for me. <laughs> okay? But you know what? All of that for me emotionally was in one category and then came the last category that broke my heart. And that was when they told me, we now know enough about this disease that we think there's a risk of your children having it. And I've described my family, foster daughter, adopted daughter, two biological children. And you know, the, you know what you'd feel as a parent. And I remember praying so hard God, if this is my journey, this is my journey, I'm okay with that. But please, please, please protect my kids. More than anything, what do we have in our heart? Protect our kids. And Mandy and Ryan went in for tests. And I sat in a room and two doctors walked in. And they said, we've tested both your children. Your daughter is fine. There's no indicators. But your son has your heart disease. And I cried like a baby. I couldn't stop crying. And I kept my thought, I don't get this. My kid didn't deserve this. Why did, and I took the, all that blame stuff. Um, and so Ryan, I, every dad wants a connection with our son or a daughter, don't we? I would like mine to be tennis. <laughs> but I have this unique connection to a son with a, with a diseased heart. And a year and a half ago, uh, he was wheeled into the operating room to have a defibrillator put in him, and I cried all over again because I don't want that for him. I don't want his family there. Living through the storms, when I was in the uh, ambulance riding to the hospital, my wife, who is a great prayer person and a person of, of God's word, you can't access truth that you don't have, you don't understand or, or, or not there. Remember t- truth of the Bible? She found this Bible verse. I had a very interesting. She opened up the Bible. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And then it says, my flesh and my heart may fail. God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. Isn't that interesting that she would find that verse? See, into my fear and into complaining, it's tough for me. I want to be in control. I want to fix things. Um, How do you find God in the midst of that? How do you find hope in the midst of that? I don't know, everybody's different. I do know one thing, the four Ps will never, ever get there. They'll never help you in those moments. It's only life from within. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he's pretty blunt. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. In this world, you're gonna find storms. In this world, you're gonna have a train come after you. Sometimes as a parent, sometimes in your own life, sometimes as a child and with your own parents, Um, but you are going to have trouble. And that's the reality of our own experience. But I have told you this so that you can overcome the world. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I've had to learn to re-understand what that means for me. To to realize that uh, I am frail and weak. I want to pretend that I'm not, um, but it's not true. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. When you're in the midst of a storm... Uh, it's hard to understand some things. It's real for me. This is not Sunday school. This is not uh, a formula. This is a wrestling. And it isn't just that. It's been these other recurring moments in my life. 2010 appeared in my life, and it was horrible. 
I had, I checked, I counted them. I had 83 visits to the doctor in 2010. Between pain, three surgeries, heart surgery, neck fusion surgery because of pain so bad I couldn't lift my hand above my head or above my shoulder, right shoulder surgery. I went into atrial fibrillation. They had to cardiovert me, which is where they shock your heart. Um, uh, I, w- I found out I have rheumatoid arthritis. I was a wreck. And it just kept going on and on and on. And I found myself in these moments of darkness where I just was like, is this ever going to get better? I once turned to Sue and said, if this is my new normal, I can't do this. I didn't mean in life. I just meant all of what God has given me, all the opportunities for ministry, I won't be able to do any of that because I was just barely making it through every day. 2011 was better. I only had 63 visits to the doctor or emergency room. And when you're in a storm, a couple things happen. You start to wonder, did I make a mistake? (laughs) Um, What was the mistake? I mean, you start to put yourself in that place. Uh, Or I am a mistake. Maybe you start to get really bad theology. There's something wrong with me. God is punishing. Play the God is punishing me game. You'll go nowhere quickly. Um, Or my faith is a mistake. That all the stuff that you promised me in church, that doesn't make sense. So maybe my faith is the mistake. But let me give you one simple verse, um, and then I wanna, I'll jump ahead. Um, I want to give you a simple verse that been holding on. I'm working on a book called Confidently Confused. It's a phrase that I really hold dear to my heart right now. How do you and I live confidently but admit something, and that is that it's just, we just don't figure all things out, do we? And so uh, here it is. I love this verse, Acts 2.12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does that mean? It's become my life verse. <laughs> Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does that mean? Um, so I want to just throw out a couple things from here and then, uh, and then close with a couple thoughts. Um, it is this, a couple key words. One is, they're amazed. They were surprised by things. They're surprised by life, surprised by God. question becomes, when was the last time God surprised us? Or, or, or we're open to a new sacred memory. Because sometimes you and I are so busy running that we miss any chance of amazement. Sun, sunsets come and they're gorgeous and we just are too busy. Glorious moments appear and we're, we just run past them. We're, our life is too fast, too loud to miss the possibility of an amazing, amazing experience. Second is they're perplexed, which basically means they're confused. You know, I went to seminary, so I know, you know, learned Greek. Guess what? In the Greek, it means this. They were confused. <laughs> That's it. There's no other fancy meaning. It means they, they saw what was happening and they went, holy cow, that makes no sense. And I think that's what life is like sometimes, isn't it? You just go, that makes no sense. I, 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 I wish I could figure it all out, but it's, our amazement gets low because We've gotten so comfortable with it. it just, it's just religion. It's just church. It's, it isn't amazing. It's important. It doesn't transform us. It just encourages us. And then we're sometimes, we don't really talk enough about the fact that we can get confused. If you're confused tonight about parenting, join the club, untrained, tired, and scared. Uh, if you're confused about faith and life, hey, join the club. A lot of us are confused. Um, but we learn, instead of trying to fake it, we pretend to have it figured out. We stay quiet because we don't look foolish. Maybe this text says it's okay to admit that we just simply need to admit that life is confusing. It's not a sign of failure. Uh, the Psalms are filled with people who write, I don't get how you're working, God. 
In fact, I'm kind of upset with how you're working. And then lastly, it says they asked one another, which means they weren't alone, that they weren't alone. Um, I, you and I are being challenged, I think, if we really are serious about faith, to do this, to not be moved from the hope that is in us. And yet we have to admit we're confused by that. It's hard sometimes. Um, but to ask one another means they weren't alone and uh, they, they were able to say, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, so I'm gonna jump ahead a couple other verses here real quick. Um, this one speaks to me. You must be hope, move from the hope. Therefore, don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly you're being renewed, David and David. How does that work? How does the inwardly something happen that's not happen outwardly? Four Ps says it's all from out in. The Bible says let's wrestle with something else. And I, I, I like wrestling with that. Uh, Joshua 1.9 is a great text. I've had to hang on to this one sometimes. Don't be terrified, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed for the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. Someone has this great quote. I like this quote. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And that's hard in a storm. That's hard when life hands you hard things. I'm not talking about an easy formula, I'm just saying it's difficult. This list is here, uh, I'm aware of time, so I'm gonna do this very quickly. I'm just learning a few lessons. So let me give you a few and then I wanna close the video uh, that maybe we'll put it all together. Um, here's some storm lessons I'm learning. One is I think you have to hold on to the promises. In order to do that, you gotta be more in tune with, understand, bring those promises into your life, whatever that looks like. Hold on to them. Sometimes I just find myself clinging. I don't have all the answers, but I just wanna cling to the promise of the hope that is within us, um, to be filled with that so that I don't look like that one can. Just wanna hold on. Other times, admit your gap. And the gap, what I mean here is my definition of suffering is this. Suffering, we sometimes think suffering is when you lose a leg or you, you, know, you die. That's suffering. I think suffering is this. The gap of suffering is the difference between what you wish life has handed you and what life has actually handed you. That's your gap. And that's your faith question. Where do you find God there? In the gap between what you wanted and what you actually got. Some of us with parents, I mean with the kids. I wanted a kid to be like this and my kid is like this. And to be honest, it's a gap. Now, how do I find God in that? How do I live with confidence? How do I grab a hold of the hope in the gospel? Why, how do I not lose sight of that? Um, thirdly, uh, get filled like that. Don't try to fix it. A lot of us are fixers. But I've just learned something. Fixing just doesn't work. Don't try to solve it all or have everything answered. Just get filled. Keep getting filled. Because the more the more you're filled, the more you have the strength from within to handle it, even when you can't fix it, solve it, or explain it. That's another lesson I'm trying to learn. Admit the tensions. Don't try to pretend like it's all great. It's okay. And just to admit that, again, I don't think that means you walk around and admit it all the time and just freak people out, you know? <laughs> you know, go, you know, if it's, it's a quiet room or in a small group or with a group of friends, find that place. And that's part of what comes, the confusion is okay. And find the safe places to admit the tension and your confusion. Find the safe places. Don't announce it all the time. I still think we have to talk about confidence because confidence is promised. The hope is promised, even though we're confused about that. But find the safe places. And lastly, never do this alone. 
I grew up an independent family, an alcoholic family that taught me uh, three rules. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Don't talk about it. Fake it, cover it, pretend, move on. Don't trust people because they'll always let you down. And don't feel the feelings because they're so overwhelming that you're just going to start living as if those aren't true. And that became my norm. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. That is not at all how God wants us to live. It took me a long long time. And I still battle this independent streak in my being to, to be okay all the time. And to be okay so that no one would ever see where I'm confused. But I've learned that that will never get me uh, to be the healthy place that I, I think we're supposed to be. Um, and I call them garden friends. Safe places are garden friends. Garden friends are people who, uh, like Jesus, when Jesus went in the garden, he said to Peter, James, and John, will you come with me in the garden? Remember that story? Now, they fell asleep on him, and we've preached that sermon about those guys falling asleep. Let's just think about this. Jesus knew that he was going to the worst place he was ever going to experience on earth in a few hours, and he invited three guys into the garden with him. And I would say, who are your garden friends? Who are the people that when you go there, they can go with you? Even they might fall asleep on you, but at least they're going to go with you. Garden friends are an amazing gift. In that experience in that morning when I had that time uh, down in the hospital and I was there by myself, I'm in a closed room. Uh, up until that time, I was doing fine. I was like the best patient of the morning. I'm addicted to this. So I was friendly with people. Inside, I'm scared. But I was friendly with people and I was nice to everybody. And how, nice to, I wanted to win a pin for the nicest patient award or something. And I'm laying there, and then the curtain opened an hour or two into it, and my pastor and my good friend, Bob and Scott, walked into the room. Bob walked on this side, grabbed my hand. Scott walked on this side, grabbed my hand. The minute they touched me, I fell apart. I started crying like a baby because these are my garden friends, and I do not have to pretend with them. And I just, that was my safe place. They didn't say a word. They didn't try to fix it. They just stood there with me until I was done blubbering. Um, and I, it took me a long time to find a place where I could let people get close enough to me to be that. Uh, garden friends are incredibly important. And that's what I want to close with. This video is from a movie called We Were Soldiers. Um, I think what, here's what the church is when the church is doing its job. When the church is the church, the church reminds us of the promises that we need to hold on to. It encourages us to keep focused. Um, and also, it's the place where, where I'm surrounded by people who are holding on to a hope that maybe for me that day is hard to hold on to. So when I can't pray the prayer because it just doesn't ring in my life right now, have you ever been there? I need people around me who can pray the prayer on my, their voice becomes mine. When I can't really hang on to the promise, they speak it for me. When I can't sing the prayer or sing the song because it doesn't ring true to me and the song seems weird and too simplistic and it just doesn't ring true, all of a sudden I need you to sing on my behalf. That's when the church is the church. When I go into surgery and I'm scared, my neck fusion surgery, I could not shake. I could not shake anxiety no matter what I tried. I tried the, everything and every time I quit being the good guy, the good Christian guy. I was scared to death. I thought I was, something was going to go wrong. I had this fear that I'd be paralyzed. I read the, the, the deal. It, it terrified me. I don't know why. I could, can't explain it. 
I needed Brad, my friend, to say, you look really scared about this. I said, I'm terrified. He said, would it help if I came down that morning and prayed with you? That would be great. I couldn't muster that confidence. But Brad came down, and when he put his hand on my shoulder and spent time with me that day, it was like, oh. That's when the church is the church. The church sings on our behalf, prays on our behalf. This is the scene of the first battle in the Vietnam War, um, and all of the men have gone off to war, and the families are left behind. This is the first Sunday after they've gone, and they're in chapel, and you'll watch the church be the church. Catherine Metzger. going to sing a couple verses of that song to remind us that um, in the midst of storms, we can hold on to promises. But holy on Jesus' name, 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Before we split away, just stand and sing that together. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand on Christ the solid. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Folks, as parents, as just people on the journey of life, we are going to face storms. We're going to hear train whistles in our life. Maybe you're in one right now and you need a moment, time just for you to, to think about that. Maybe your small group will be the place, will be a safe place for you to talk about. Maybe a garden friend at home will be the safe place for you to talk about that. There are promises to be held on to. And I pray that you just would find those places to hang on in the midst of storms. Now the old blessing I'd like to give to you before we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let me pray. Amen, God, that we would be those people that would find your peace in the midst of storms. Thank you for your promises. Help us to be people who cling to those promises. And when we can't cling, we have people around us who cling on our behalf. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for this evening. And uh, Pete, I'll turn it over to you.